0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Scott Stebbin Podcast. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you guys are having a wonderful end to your week and a great start to your weekend. And with me is my co-host, Micah Current. Micah, how are you doing today?
1: Good. How are you?
0: I'm exhausted.
1: I think we talked about that a little bit before we started recording. We
0: did. We did. I overslept and was... Usually, I'm the one who always has everything prepared, waiting for you. And this time, I was the one who had to say... Oh, I'm running behind.
1: <laughs> As I was sitting at my computer,
0: ready to go at 8 a.m. And again, who said had to start recording at 8 a.m.?
1: That would be Scott Stedman.
0: That would be me, baby. So, hey, how anyway, hot is it?
1: How hot is it in Virginia?
0: It is 73 degrees right now.
1: It's supposed to be like in the hundreds this week here. Ooh, like triple digits. They're talking heat indexes of like between 100 and 115.
0: Uh, wow yeah it's 73 right now but already i can i can feel the heat it's it's going to be a hot one today um yeah so friends today on this episode we've talked about last week we talked about uh just some of the the good, the bad, and the weird stories in ministry that both Micah and I and some of our colleagues have had. Um, again, if you are if you have a story and you would like us to share it, please feel free to send us a message, and we will be gladly to kind of do a follow up and share some of your stories in ministry. Um, we even looked at um, went through uh, the Discovery Plus series "Hillsong Exposed" and kind of talked about kind of the failings and kind of the abuse the leaders, church leaders can have over their congregation. And today uh, Micah happened to find this article titled 11 Ways Pastors Are Abused. This comes from uh, Charisma News, and it is written by, let's see who it was written by. It was written by Dr. Doctor Joseph uh, Matera, who is an um, author and a theologian um, And this was actually published recently. This was published three days ago. So this was published on the 10th. It is the 13th as we're recording this episode. Um, And really, it just kind of talks a little bit about the 11 ways pastors are abused in their church. So I think a lot of times we focus a lot on, especially recently, Micah, I think there's been a lot of information coming out, not with Hillsong, but even just kind of some of the failings coming out with the SBC and how they were covering up a lot of... um, sexual abuse and misconduct with a lot of their SBC pastors. And you're, you're kind of seeing a big plethora of all that coming out now. So it's very easy within our current culture to look at leaders, which rightfully so, we have to have leaders make sure they're accountable because they're the ones who are shepherding a church, leading the church. So if they're being abusive, it needs to be called out immediately because the damage that it can do within a church, within even within the whole uh, religion of Christianity can be uh, devastating. Um, but I believe there's also another side to that coin where sometimes pastors kind of get mud slung at them too from their own people. And sometimes the people that they are serving can sometimes be um wolves in sheep clothing sometime.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. I think. So I saw this article the other day, I think the day it was published and, you know, I thought to myself, man, this would be a great kind of continuation of what we were talking about last week with, you know, some of the crazy stories that we've had in ministry, good, bad and different. But yeah, that stuff does happen. And, um, you know, we could take the, you know, the conversation a step further with what you were saying, Scott, about different churches, you know, SBC, um, Presbyterian uh, churches have went through a split recently nationally in the last couple of years and so as you uh, I think you were telling me before we recorded that the United Methodist Church has right uh, like, they,
0: they, like they're going for they're going for a split
1: okay yeah so like for different reasons and, and, and values and beliefs and things like that but like um, kind of with what we talked about last week and uh, what we're going to talk about today like just the, the fact that like some of this stuff does happen and it's not uncommon. And I believe that, you know, some of the, some of these things happen, you know, they set your pastors up to fail anyway. So if they're being mm-hmm. abused and I'm not saying that, like if you have, uh, you know, a problem as a leader, as a pastor that you, that it's going to push you one way or the other, but like some of these instances could push you to those things like, uh, mental illness or, um, you know, depression, uh, you know, just, it could be as very simple as, you know, things that you're going through that, you know, alcohol is a great example or something as serious as, you know, uh, you know, cheating on your spouse or, you know, getting addicted to drugs or painkillers or, you know, whatever. But some of these, uh, these abuse things can, um, push pastors in a wrong way. And that's why it's so important to, keep yourself healthy, um, keep yourself accountable, keep yourself, uh, close to people that you can trust and do life with and, um, really, uh, respect their opinion. And, um, yeah. So I just thought this article was kind of fascinating and I guess today we're going to, we're just going to take turns and go kind of back and forth and give our thoughts yeah. on it. Exactly. Cool? Absolutely.
0: So in this article, in this article, uh, there are 11 reasons on how, pastors are abused within their churches and the first one is pastors are criticized for taking time off to go on vacation micah have you ever had any experience as far as um being criticized or know people in ministry that have been criticized for going on vacation or taking time off
1: um i don't know that i've been criticized for for taking a vacation but but it, 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 do you think that like making you feel bad would be kind of the same thing as criticized in the circumstances? I think so.
0: I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, Cause even, I think in the, even in his example, like he even exampled in, in his, in that thing where he's kind of explaining, he says that there's a time where they just got back from a family vacation and him and his wife decided to go to a tanning salon to kind of even out their tans from being wherever out in the, I'm sun. Supposed, out in the sun. And People are criticizing them for going to a tanning booth.
1: Yeah. Um <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. Uh I don't know that I've ever been criticized for taking vacation. I, I I shared in last week's episode about, you know, when I went to get married and went uh home for the weekend that we went I me and my wife got married, like um that the church didn't want to pay me for my time away, even though mm-hmm. I had prepared everything, scheduled the worship leader. You know, prepare the church for everything except for me physically being in that location. Um, so, it, I guess that's a form of criticism. Um, I did work at a church one time where it was you know like jumping through hoops just to say, "Hey, I can't be here this Sunday. I have something that has, that I have to be at. Um, is it okay if I take the Sunday off?" And then I have to go talk to like my staff, and then I have to go talk to the elders, and then I have to go talk to this person, the council. Or like, it and I guess it's just. You know, take that a step further. It just depends on how your your church is set up. But I don't think I've been criticized for taking time off to go on vacation, but um, then again, I don't really tan like these people did. So I don't know if they would criticize me for that or not. But um, what about you? Have you been criticized for taking vacation?
0: I don't I don't think I've been criticized for taking a vacation. Uh, there was one time where I was on vacation. And there was somebody who passed away, and I was asked, "Hey, can you come back?" We know this, we, and they said, and the person said, "We know this is your vacation. We know this is your time with your family. So, you know, if if you if you can make it back, that's great. If not, that's fine too. Just let us know." And me and my wife talked about it because at this point, like, I only had one vehicle. We only had one vehicle out there, and we were we were vacationing. Out in Virginia Beach, and if I was to leave, I'd have to do a three-hour drive back to where I was. Do a funeral, do a three-hour back, and then my wife and my kids would basically just be stuck where we were staying at because we were staying in a cabin, so we weren't staying like in a hotel on the beachfront. So really, there was nothing for them to do. They would just have to stay home at the cabin for, you know, almost nine hours. You know, three hours there, three hours back, and however long it was going to take to do service and. I thought, you know, I'm on vacation. I'm just going to kind of, you know, I was going to set a boundary and say, nope, sorry, but I will be. And I even said, I'm willing to write something to be read at the service. And I just kind of put it like that. And I thought everything was good. And then I got back next thing you know, I'm sitting before the Board of Elders and that's being brought up. And I'm thinking, what? Like the family told me it was okay, and now it's not. Yeah. So, you know, so I mean. There is that. Sometimes I think that even when you take a vacation and so and this may go into the second thing, but there's times where I remember I went to a vacation. I usually would post pictures. So, you know, if there's that time where my wife and I saved a bunch of money and we decided to take our kids to Disney. I mean, I don't think like there's criticism brought to me personally, but I know there's probably grumbling like, oh, pastor went to Disney. And they know that that's a lot of money and it's like well you have no clue how much we are actually paying because we've had gift cards and i coupon so i save like we're like it's halfway through the year and i've already have at least three or four hundred dollars saved in coupon money so Um, it's it's so it's like that where it's like you have no clue how we use our money and plus i don't think the church should even say how a pastor can and cannot use their the money that they are working for not you know if they're doing everything right and you've agreed to a salary and you're paying somebody even if they go on a nice vacation or not whether they go to florida or they go to some random shack 15 miles away i mean that's none of your concern pastor's on vacation
1: yeah i think too like the you know people just don't know the circumstances right like you know say your in-laws own a really nice condo in florida and it's like kind of very modern and very very expensive but like they got a good deal on it you didn't pay for it but yeah you're welcome to use it and so what difference does it make yeah and pictures you know pictures can you know depict a ton of different emotions and reactions right because we we just live in society where content is everything we're flipping on our phones um, whether it's Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or Twitter or anything like that, like it's just we're on sensory overload. And so when people see those things, it's like, oh, well, th- they must be loaded. No, you pay my salary. You know how much I make.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. Absolutely. So, um, which kind of you said piggyback to number two. Uh, pastors are criticized for having nice things.
0: Oh. Scott, have you been
1: criticized for having nice things?
0: well I barely have have nice nice things things. I don't
1: have nice things
0: here's the thing I don't have nice things but I think that's kind of but I think that's kind of it goes back to perception because you know me having a record player in records that I got free or I paid like a dollar for I wouldn't say that's nice things but someone looking at my record collection and seeing like man I mean especially in the pandemic I've been posting like a record that my collection for a week And it started in March of 2022, and I'm still going strong. or in 2020, it's still going on strong in 2022. (laughs) Like I have a lot of records. I didn't think Uh, like oh, doing one a week was going to extend almost two years, a little over two years of playing music. But here I am. So I think sometimes with perception, people can think that pastor has nice things.
1: I mean, as a musician and as a as a creative arts pastor, like I have a lot of music gear. Yeah. And like I just counted like in my this is kind of like my studio, one of our spare bedrooms that has all my stuff in it. Like I have one, two, three, four, five, five acoustic guitars, two basses, two, three electric guitars. And like some of them don't work, and they're just like like I have two of them hanging on the wall, and one of them was like my wife's grandfather's guitar traveling guitars. And so, mm-hmm. like, it's just a decoration in our house. But you'd think I was loaded. Yeah. However, I I've had to earn all the money to pay for these individually, and like, I've I didn't go buy them all at once. This is like a ten year like collection yeah. of of instruments that I paid for over the course of time. And my uh, not that this is going to turn into a Dave Ramsey episode or anything, but like, <laughs> my, my my wife and I have have ever since we've been married. I promise you that, that this has kind of been our philosophy. But like. We get paid, we pay our bills, we give to the church, and we put money in savings every single paycheck. That's Mm -hmm. just the way that we've always done things. And so that when things come along, like, hey, we needed new furniture, we pay cash for furniture. Mm -hmm. We bought a new car last year, we had to pay cash, and we paid for over half the car in cash. Mm -hmm. A couple of weeks ago, I bought a new guitar. Guess what? I found a coupon online, and I pay cash for it. But yeah. guess what? I've been leading, like, so I have a full-time job, full transparency with, with our listeners here. Like, I have a full-time job where I make full-time salary, but I've been leading worship on the weekends at churches, right? So that's direct, like, that's extra income on top of the income that I already make. And when I went and said, hey, I'm going to go buy a 500 or $600 guitar, two weeks later, because I've worked at churches and consulted and coached, consulted, coached, and have uh led worship at various churches like that pays for itself in a couple of weeks like yeah. there's ways to do things and not live an elaborate lifestyle like yeah. i i have I'm very blessed I live in a small rural town like I have a three bedroom three bathroom house two stories with a two- car garage and I got a really good deal on the house when I bought it in 2018 so like
0: yeah.
1: it, it's, it's it, there are ways yeah. to do things and, and live within your means without looking like you're the wealthiest person in the world
0: Yeah. And, and I think even sometimes like, you know, we don't know the backstory as well because like, for an example, like usually my wife always plans, like she's already planning our vacation for next year. We haven't even taken our vacation this year, which really our vacation is just traveling and dropping me off in Ashland for my doctorate studies. That's my vacation. So, you know, not very, a a lavish vacation, but we're visiting family before we make our move back to Ohio. But, um, but there was one time where we did we went vacationing out in Lancaster and my wife goes, oh, that'd be fun to do. So she looked. And of course, my dad would always get a bunch of would always get a bunch of like reward points from credit cards. And what he would do is he would say, hey, I'm just going to cash out my reward points and split them up into gift cards. And he would basically let me and my sister know, go, OK, here's how much points you get to spend. Let me know what gift cards you want. So the way we do it is when we would get that number, my wife would look at it. She goes, okay, here's our vacation. We're going to get gas gift cards. We're going to get hotel gift cards. So we got Best Western gift cards, which, you know, when you think about the Best Western, you're not thinking Hilton quality here. It's not the Ritz-Carlton, but out in Lancaster, there was a very nice hotel, Best Western hotel. And we ended up getting like a suite there, which not only had two separate bedrooms but had a full kitchen a full living room had an indoor and outdoor pool and in most of the time we were out traveling doing whatever but all that was paid by gift cards we did not pay one cent for that vacation traveling lodging all that was paid for by gift cards for as a christmas gift that we got and I think when I took pictures of that, and you're showing pictures of like, oh, hey, here's where we're staying. I think people are like, oh, man, pastor must be loaded. Look at this yeah. nice place to stay in. And then on top of that, I heard grumblings because there was a time when my wife got a job working at a private, a private school in Stanton. So we decided to enroll my son there because, A, my son, you know, we thought it was a good school. And plus, he's getting a discount because... He was getting a discount. He was there. And then the salary that my wife made was going to my son's education. So basically none of the salary I was making for the church was going to my son's private education. And I had heard grumblings. Why is the church playing for pastor Peter's education?
1: Yeah. Which is funny because like, you know, (laughs) we, I'm not like pastors, like, unless you're in a really fortunate situation, pastors don't make that much money. Right. I
0: think the average salary of a pastor, a full time pastor, is about forty three thousand dollars,
1: which is more money than I make currently in my secular job. Mm-hmm. Which
0: that's, uh, but that's average. But again, it can go down. Like that's the average because some pastors, and I guess that's kind of hard because you do have your mega church pastors that do make a lot more? Well, but really, well, as forty three thousand.
1: 43,000 Scott, does that what does that include? Does that include like living expenses? Does it include nope. a parsonage? It, or is that just the, the that net? Is,
0: that's usually just the package. So again, like health comes out of that, which again, you know, and so I mean, if you think about it, if I'm working at a like, I mean, do I mean, working at your your secular job, but does does health kind of come with it? Does like a portion of your pay go out to go to pay for health care?
1: I as a part of my salary, I get health insurance, retirement benefits, as well as free education uh, mm-hmm. for myself, my wife and my children, if I have children.
0: And usually, and usually, cause I think like, even when I think about my wife, when she was working, when she was working at a school, you know, there was always like a health, life insurance, dental, all that stuff. But then when you think about how much they're, ugh, excuse me, how much they're pulling out of her paycheck, it usually was like, maybe like 30 bucks a month. Where yeah. a pastor is basically paying a full premium, so usually, which I mean, before this is before the um, Obamacare. Yeah. So usually, a pastor, like I think when I was working vocational, and I had to you pay insurance, and I was only making fifteen thousand dollars. That was like my package was fifteen thousand dollars, and at least two hundred of that maybe a little bit more a month was coming out just to pay for my health insurance. And that's not including dental. So working like a job, you know, maybe $30 is coming out, but for a pastor, they're paying the full premium because again, they're not have a big plan. They're not working with a bunch of employees where they can get like a discount because they have to insure you know, hundreds of people. It's just one person. So like, okay.
1: Well, and part of the reason, Part of the reason, you know, I mean, I work, I've worked part-time at churches, the majority of my ministry career, I've worked full-time at a couple of, a couple of those churches, but part of the reason, Scott, that I went into back into higher education was because I, I have those benefits. I have a retirement. I have like, it's a guarantee, right? So like right now I have, you know, five years built in to Miami where I work. And so like when I go to, when I lost my job in 2020, it just sat there. And so when I went back in 21, it picked right back up where I left off and started, you know, accruing towards that 30 years or whatever it is to take to, to retire. Um, but like, I know how much it costs to go to Miami to go to school. Um, it's a public Ivy school and kids, you know, end pay paying like a quarter million dollars to go to school for a four-year education. And I can go for free and get a mm-hmm. master's degree. I can get a doctorate. My, my wife can go get another degree, get another uh, mm-hmm. master's program, you know, done or a PhD. And like she, you know uh, we want, if we are fortunate enough to have children, our children can go to school for free. Their mom and dad didn't go to school for free. So like, I mean, we had to pay like the fees to go along with labs and and like, it ends up being like pennies compared to like what a four year education would be. So like, you know, I've always been a big proponent of working within your means. Like my wife is too. Like we always, you know, say that we're cheapskates. Right. Yeah. Because we, we we've always been just very fortunate and very blessed to have the money that we do have. And we've always kind of lived by the motto that I explained earlier where we just save money and pay our bills, give it to the church. And um, you know, when things come along, we can just pay cash for it and not sweat about it. And so um you talked about gift cards on a vacation. My um my wife's grandmother. Both of my wife's grandmothers are still alive, but my wife's one grandmother on her mom's side is going to be like 80 next year, I think. And so they're all going to go to Gatlinburg. And so Alicia's mom and dad basically rented a giant house for us all to go and spend a couple of days. And they were like, you guys are welcome to come pay for the gas to get there, pay for your food. And it's Mm -hmm. like free vacation hello mm-hmm. yeah right so like it, and you know i could see what you know you're saying scott we're saying we say, well, how they afford that and i'm like but back to the whole conversation about pictures being you know very deceptive and perception mm-hmm. is reality and those circumstances but you know to keep moving along with this list yeah uh, pastor,
0: what's, so here's yeah what's so number three i think it goes number three is yeah, number three, kind of, I think a lot of these kind of roll into each other, but yeah, number three, pastors face constant violations of private and personal boundaries. Yes. Yes.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Well,
1: I, I, think, I, I think I think it goes th- back to the financial things, Scott, like, right? It's none of people's business how much money you make. It's none of people's business how you spend the money. It's none of people's business, uh, you know, what you do with your family, when you do with your family. And as long as like, you know, you're not hurting anything or hurting anybody. Like it's really none of people's concern. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. And I think a lot of times, like, if you think about like, I mean, if you think about if you work for a fortune 500 company, how often do your regular employees have access to the CEO of a company? Very rarely. Like, I don't see a bunch of Amazon workers thinking they could just like walk through Jeff Bezos doors and just have a conversation with them. Like, no, like You're probably going to be talking to someone else. You're not going to have direct access to Jeff Bezos unless for some reason there's that opening and you can go talk to him. And I think a lot of times within churches, you're the pastor, but because you're now the new pastor, everybody thinks that, okay, we now have 100% access to who you are, to your family, to everything, And so we have complete access to who you are as a person. And I can remember one time, like, I I have an open door policy. And I have a sign on my door that says, if my door is open, you can come in. You're more than willing to talk to me, hang out, do whatever. Like, yeah, just come and hang, right? I've always was. But if my door is shut, and at that sign, if my door is shut, I'm probably busy working on something. I'm probably taking a phone call. Please respect my private, or I could be counseling somebody. Please respect my privacy as I'm doing this. Right, had that sign on my door. there was one time where I had the door shut and I was changing because I was, I was doing something. I think I was doing something. And it was, it wasn't a Sunday. It was like a event, and I was in like regular clothes, and then I was changing out to get dressed into like you know a polo and some dress pants. And literally, I had someone just walk into my office while standing there in my underwear. Mm-hmm. And they go, oh, I'm sorry. And they just walked out. Didn't even knock. Didn't even knock and say, hey, pastor. I'm like, hold on a second. Nothing. open up the door. Just walked right in. Saw me in my skivvies. Like, okay. And I mean, there's been other times where I've been counseling. I was counseling people. And literally, someone walked in into my office while I was in the middle of a session. And luckily it was like, and that's the thing. It was one of those things where I don't think it would have been a big deal if it was somebody who was outside the church, but because I was kind of like someone inside the church and it was kind of a very dire situation. And this person who walked in was very prone to gossiping. I mean, literally, like, I, I mean, there's a reason why that person doesn't go to church anymore. And it was just like that thing where it's like, my door is shut. I mean, I don't lock it. And, and then and I didn't never lock it because I would think, you know, just shutting the door would be enough. That would be a sign saying, Oh, you know, pastor's here. I see his car, the lights on in his office, but his door's shut. So I'm going to be respectful. And do, or even anything. I even said, if you need me, write a note, slide it under my door. So I can see it. Because, again, my desk was right there by the front door. So I would see it or would hear someone rustling and trying to slide something underneath my door. Yeah. But they just walk in. And I'm thinking, you know. And I don't think it necessarily was a pri- I mean, it's kind of a per- it wasn't like necessarily a personal boundary because I never had people walk into my house. But. The fact is, is that, you know, when I'm doing pastoral work, when I'm doing counseling, when I'm doing some shepherding, or even if I'm just changing my clothes. Or I could be sitting there having a time of prayer and you barge in and start talking to me about, oh, how you didn't like a decision that I made at a meeting. It's like, I'm in the middle of prayer. Who are you that you feel like you have the right to bust into my door with my communion with God? Yeah. You know, like. uh.
1: Well, it goes back to the the conversation of like, they think they can just, people just think they can do whatever they want. And it's like, I I don't think, I I don't know of a job that I've worked outside of a church that people, you know, think that they just own you, right? Just because mm -hmm. they pay your salary. And so, and I think that's kind of the disconnect with pastors and churches. So they think that they own you because they pay your salary and therefore they can get to you um at any time at any point any place which kind of leads us to number four which is kind of what you said before with your vacation and the funeral it says everyone's emergency has to be their emergency yeah right and so like i i can't tell you how much in the last you know year or two that i've been i've tried to be more intentional about like especially like on saturdays for example um most people have iPhones, some people have Androids, but like, I don't know if Android has this feature, but like the whole do not disturb feature. I'm very intentional about turning that on on Saturdays and not responding to messages, not responding to email, looking at email. Um, You know, I prepare, you know, prepare for Sundays, you know, Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, like as far as music is concerned for the church that I'll, you know, be leading at that next day. But like, just I've been very intentional about like, you know, not everything's an emergency, not everything's on fire all the time. Like I'm trying to be better about spending time with my wife. I'm trying to be better about, you know, catching up on things and truly giving myself a Sabbath like during the day, you know, cause Sundays were so busy, but you know, Saturday is kind of like my Sabbath and I want to, I want to take that time and very intentional. So like, you know, everyone's emergency has to be their emergency. Scott, what do you think about that?
0: You know, I don't think I've, I mean, besides like people barging into my office while I'm there, but for the most part, like, I guess in some kinds, yeah, but never like a, but that's the thing. Like we kind of knew that like, if there was someone who is being rushed to the hospital, I'm usually up and I'm there and I'm driving there and we kind of had that. And those, those moments would happen. Very few, maybe like once a year where I'd have to leave the dinner table and I'd have to go because someone got air flighted to wherever and I had to get there, you know? So, but I feel like a lot of times, like just those emergencies, like,
1: is it really an emergency?
0: Is it really an emergency or is it just a, or is it like a thing saying like, well, or I think it's like, well, my opinion or my need to tell you something's more important than your peace are more important than what you're doing. Like, I mean, I can remember I was at a meeting and we sat there and we were very typical meeting. We were done. I was done with the meeting and I walked all the way home, got into my house, got into my pajamas. And then I got a call from my head elder basically saying, Hey, Pastor Scott, can you come back? I go, why? I thought the meeting was done. It goes, Oh, well, a church member pulled into the driveway and came in, like, right when we were getting in our cars and wanted to talk to us. Can you come back? And I'm thinking, what? So I did. I got out of my pajamas, put my pants back on, walked back over to the church to figure out what the heck was going on. Scott, I think we weird. need to label
1: this episode that you never never should take your pants off.
0: Yeah, never... As a pastor, you sleep with your, you sleep with your pastor clothes on because you never know when someone's going to walk into your house, get you out of bed and go, pastor, I need to talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. Yeah. So, but I feel like if there's an emergency, it's always, it's always never, I understand when you have those, but if there's something that is an emergency, I think the big question as a. As a parishioner, you have to ask, is this something that my pastor has to deal with right now at like seven o'clock at night when he's getting his kids to bed, when he's having dinner, when he's ready to unwind from a long work day? Do I need to really come or can this wait till tomorrow morning where I can send him an email or call him and say, hey, pastor, I have an emergency. Something's going on. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's probably more wise than just thinking, you know. I have an emergency, whatever that may be. I mean, I think if it's a legit emergency, like, oh, my husband's in the hospital or my husband just passed away suddenly. Yeah, I think you might want to call the pastor and really let them know that ASAP. But if it's something where you're just criticizing, like, if, but if you're just in there criticizing, like, a decision that was made or if you're there to say, oh, so-and-so at the church. Change the flowers in the bathroom to red, and I changed just changed them to yellow a week ago, so I want to complain about it. Like, yeah, like that. That doesn't need to be an 8 o'clock, wake a pastor out of bed conversation. That's not an emergency.
1: One of my wife's favorite quotes is, a lack of planning on your part does not constitute as an emergency on mine. Exactly. That's one of her favorite quotes.
0: (laughs) Yep, 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 yep. Oh, goodness. Goodness, goodness. So what's next, Micah?
1: Um, I thought I did the last one, but it's okay. Uh, no, the I next one's I... Pastor. No, I said everyone's oh. emergency. But oh, anyway, never mind. The... Oh, wait, I got no, wait.
0: No, it's mine. It's mine. I'm sorry. Guys, we, we planned this to go back and forth. I totally forgot the number. It's mine. Okay. Scott's Micah, looking here's... for his pants. I, I'm like... Believe me, me rolling out of the bed going, I'm like for podcast. Who knows what I'm wearing? And we're, we're, zo- we're in a right Zoom now. meeting,
1: so we can't see anything.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's good. And I'm wearing, I'm wearing my rugby shorts, which... You know they're about mid mid thighs, so <laughs> like seventies basketball shorts. <laughs> hey, you may not
1: be able to get into Bible college with those.
0: <laughs> I could in the seventies, not now. I have to wear like the long basketball shorts that are like mid 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 uh, shin. Uh, anyway, uh, number five, pastors face gossip and slander regarding leadership decisions. Yes. Yes. Uh- um, like I think Next. I think
1: <laughs> no 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 I think that um I think this was like yes this happens and yes this has always happened at least as long as I've been alive and in churches um I think specifically like in the last couple of years in regards to COVID and the pandemic like mm. I think that like you weren't gonna make anybody happy should we have church should we not have church should we wear masks should we not wear masks yeah should we. Do social distancing. Should we not do social distancing? Should we be I'm, in our
0: san- Should we be in our sanctuary, or should we be in our?
1: Should we be in the park? In
0: chairs. Should we be yeah. in the park?
1: I, I outside. In, we did that for a bit. Uh, yeah. At one of the churches I worked at. We did. We did the church outside. We did small groups outside. We did. You know. It's crazy. So anyway, yes. Um, that each of these bullet points in this article have like a little bit underneath them. And it says every pastor has had people in their congregation, slander and second guess decisions without understanding the context or investigating the reason behind their choices. When a church develops, uh, when a church culture develops a critical spirit towards its pastor and leadership, this is a form of shepherd abuse. So I can say with out of doubt, this stuff happens on a regular basis on the other side, Scott, Maybe I'm going to take it a step further here, but like as pastors, I think we often, I think this is one of the things we fear the most. And then we as pastors then struggle making decisions and then ultimately having fear to make the wrong decision because we're afraid to make the wrong decision. Does that make sense? Yeah, um, like mm-hmm. and the, the because of things like slander, because of things like gossip, because of things like questioning your ability to make decisions, therefore pastors are intimidated and scared to make the wrong decisions, and therefore they won't make a decision at all. So that's kind of my little yeah. nutshell. And I that. and I
0: would say, and and I would say that sometimes when pastors are the subject of gossip and slander regarding leadership decisions, sometimes it may not even be the pastor's decision. You know, it it also depends on the way the bylaws are written and who really makes decisions. Like, for example, like I know there's some churches where in the elder board meetings, the pastor's the chair and the pastor kind of has the has voting privileges or voting rights. Right. And then there's some churches where the pastor's not the chair and the pastor's kind of like a guide, but the pastor doesn't get to vote on anything. I mean, I could say here's what I think is best, but at the end of the day, the people that the congregation puts in, devotes in to be elders, it's their decision. And sometimes it's a mixture between the two. And I can remember, well, sometimes I would get criticized over the music that was being played in worship because we would try to do more of a blended. We'd have some of our traditional hymns, but we'd have some of our contemporary songs. And I can remember one particular person would always criticize, we need to do, we're an older congregation, we need to do more hymns, we need to do that. And I would go back to my elder board and I'd say, hey guys, I know we decided this is what we're going to do, a mixture of both contemporary and traditional. However, I'm constantly getting criticized by the musical choices. So what are your thoughts? Should we go? And that's the thing. Should we just go straight up and just do hymns the whole time? And I was told unanimously by the elder board, no, we like that you're doing blended. I think it's good. Let's keep it like that. And yet, when the criticism comes, it was never a board member standing up and saying, hey, no, this was a board decision. This is a board decision. This is what we decided. So we're going to leave it alone. It was always me who had to deal with all the constant complaining. And it was always directed to me, even though sometimes the decision was not my choice. It was someone else. It was the group's choice. Or at least it was the majority choice. And, And we become the scapegoat. Yeah. So I think a lot of times when it comes to gossip and slander, sometimes you're getting slandered for decisions that are not even your decisions. Yeah. Sometimes you're getting criticized for things that, You were that you were even critical in the first place like no we should not do this and everyone's like no I think we should so that's the way the vote goes and then people complain about it go pastor how'd you let this happen it's like you chose
1: you chose this life,
0: you chose this life, and even though you may not have voted that you wanted this, but you chose the person in power to make that decision for you. Yep. I mean, I mean, it's just like if I choose a representative to represent me and they're making bad choices, when it comes time for me to go to the voting polls, I can say, no, I do not want this person anymore. And if he still wins then I'm stuck with it. But at the same time, if you if I did vote for that person, he's making bad decisions and I have no one to blame but myself because I voted this person in. So in a couple of years, I can vote that person out and see if they are out or not, you know. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. All right. What's what's uh what's next, Micah?
1: You got fired up about that one. I was kind of letting you rant.
0: Oh, don't worry. Numbers, oh, you if, if I got fired up on five, I'll definitely get fired up on six. <laughs>
1: Pastors experience consistent betrayal.
0: Yes, 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 yes. And there was actually a podcast I was listening to. One of my good buddies has a podcast that's put out by Christianity Day called The Art of Pastoring. And they talked about an issue about you know what do you do when there's someone who's in the beginning of your ministry they're for you they're on your team they support you and then all of a sudden they no longer support you anymore they just kind of just kind of abandon you or betrayed you you know they they you in some ways and I think and I think that is probably the worst because there's times where you can go, and especially if you have people who surround you, who may be your elder board. And that's the thing, when you think about the role of an elder board, the elder board is there to not only to kind of, you know, make sure things are running properly, but really you're also there to make sure that the pastor's protected. You're there to make sure that the pastor is cared for, the pastor is that that the best interest of the pastor is there for you, and there was a time like in, in the beginning of my ministry here in Virginia where literally, I think everything be fine. Next thing you know, I'm in a meeting and there's people who want me gone, and I would ask the questions like, "Okay, well, here's what the bylaw says. They need to be in this meeting. Are they here? No. Well, then where are they? Why are we Why are we not?" Why are we not operating according to our governance laws that we have for this church? So, you know, you you call that out. And then finally, you get to a point where you have someone say, you know, I don't want to be surprised by this. If there's anything going on, I want to be known. And I said, yes, transparency is great. And I think I would like to be known, too. If there's any grumblings, I don't want to have to find out in a meeting. I would like someone to message me and say, hey, here's what's going on. And I think mm-hmm. at one point it was, and then next thing so you know, it's like I could go to a meeting. I'm surprised. I'm like, wait a minute. We kind of decided that this was how we were going to operate. Why are we not operating like this anymore? And yeah. I and I specifically remember one time I had an elder who basically was someone who I thought I could trust. And I would go to them with some questions and they would give good advice. But it was funny. Like, I remember one advice they gave me because there was something where and then really, this kind of came from bad advice I got during my um training as far as you know more for pastoral care, especially during funerals and stuff like there was a decision that I made that I thought was right, and apparently it was the wrong decision and that that was the way I was trained, so I asked someone like, "Hey, what am I doing wrong?" and I kind of explained here's here's my take, and they said, "Oh, well no, 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 here's kind of how it is, and here's how I was trained. I'm like, oh, okay, I will." shift focus then. Five-minute conversation. And I remember this person says, you know, when it comes to loving others, it's better to overdo it than underdo it. Okay, cool. Like, that's great advice. And yet, when it came time to caring and loving the pastoral family, the person that you're working with, man, under loving all the time. When you give information to them, like one time I gave some information because I didn't know what to do about the situation, and I was very vulnerable with this person. Next thing you know, it's being brought up in a meeting. And I'm thinking, man, I thought you were someone that I could trust, and apparently you were at some point, but all of a sudden, you're not anymore. And really, I think it was just like another it was another like check in the box of, yeah, I need to get out of here. I have, I have no support here. No one really cares. They just, everyone just wants me gone and I don't have the leadership there to support me. And frankly, I'm probably going to have a leadership where the next complaint that comes in, they're probably just going to say, okay, gone. Like, just like that, because everyone's going to kind of vote against you. And it's like, you know, I don't, I don't need to deal with that anymore. So yeah. So it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. And it's hard.
1: We're gonna do this episode episode in a couple of weeks, but like, I think for me, uh, one of the things as being a pastor's kid that I didn't understand is when somebody got mad and left the church, and I was friends with their kids, and then all of a sudden they mm-hmm. weren't there anymore. Yeah, and we couldn't be friends anymore, and we couldn't talk because they didn't go to our church anymore.
0: Hmm. Oh yeah.
1: And, and mom and dad were always like, you know, we they they're just they're not coming back. And so it was like it was really hard. Those those situations were hard on me as a kid because it's like. You know, you have a really good friend and all of a sudden you don't. And it's not our fault as kids. It's it's the parents' fault that they couldn't get along. And now we can't be friends anymore because, you know, they don't come to our church anymore. So that's all I kind of really have to say about uh, pastors experience consistent betrayal. Because, I mean, yes, I, I agree that they do. Um, but it's, it's hard. Ministry is not easy
0: yeah definitely all right number seven pastors are expected to give without receiving anything in return
1: yeah so the i think you said this in an episode a couple of weeks ago scott but like what's the average number of hours that a pastor works in a week
0: um probably about 80
1: yeah so you know, give and, give and give and give and give and get nothing in return because, you know, I had a conversation with a pastor yesterday and he was like, yeah, I just, you know, it's that uh, lone pastor vibe where, you know, you have, <laughs> I'm cleaning the toilets and I'm fixing a leak in the bathroom sink and I'm getting communion ready for Sunday. And I, oh, by the way, I got to write a sermon and preach the word of God to people. And maybe I'm the only pastor on staff and I have to lead worship and I have to get the slides ready for worship. And I have to get my PowerPoint ready for, for, uh, for my message and slides. I don't have an executive assistant or somebody who, uh, a marketing team. Oh, and by the way, somebody's grandmother died. I have to preach her funeral this week. And, oh, by the way, that's another sermon I have to write. And so like, it's just, you give and give and give. And like, yes, uh, I don't know if other churches do this, Scott, but like, uh, Church of God is known for Pastor Appreciation Month, which is like October, I think. <laughs> yeah, And like they they celebrate you like once a year, which is great, right? They honor that, but like it's a selfless job, and you take you take away from your family and your friends, and just you know, I I was definitely feeling in the last two years or so the the burnout of ministry, and I was in a part time role at that point. Yeah. and it was like I'm mm. there all the time. I'm there every Saturday. I'm there most of the day Sunday and I'm there some some nights and you know, most of the weekend. So, plus working 40 hours elsewhere. So, Yeah. Um, what do you think about that?
0: Uh, yeah. And, and I think it's interesting you brought up the whole pastor appreciation because sometimes how that's played out is different than is different than how other churches. Like I remember being in Ohio and when it was past, when it was October, literally every Sunday was a celebration of, you know, there'd always be, maybe the kids would do a skit on one Sunday. There'd be a meal another Sunday. Um, you know, there'd be testimony of some of the great things that pastor had did in the past year. And then usually the last day would be kind of like, Oh, here's like cards and, and gifts of saying, Hey, we appreciate you everything else. And so literally the whole month of October was a celebration, a week long celebration where in Virginia, I believe that my first year it was like that. And then every other year it was one Sunday. And sometimes it would be like one of those things where I didn't even know if it was going to come or not. Mm -hmm. Like it would be like the last Sunday and like, and that would be always be weird because I would see on Facebook, Oh, my church did this, this Sunday. And it's like, My church did nothing. My church did nothing this Sunday. They didn't do something this Sunday. And finally get to last Sunday. And all of a sudden it's like, surprise. And it's like, oh, well, great. And I would always be moved to tears. And it's not because I was like, oh, you guys really love or care about me. It was like, literally, am I going to have something? Am I going to have something? And Mm -hmm. a lot of times really what I wanted was something, just basically anybody to just go up there and say, hey, we appreciate you. Thank you so much for all your hard work you're doing. You know, I mean, yeah, having cards and gift cards and, and checks written to you and, you know, that's nice. But really, I think it's just more of the recognition that I think that I, I, I'm i fine. And I can remember during the year, during the pandemic, Pastor Appreciation, it's like you're trying to live through a pandemic. And all of a sudden, you know, people mailed in cards to me and that was fine. But it was the last Sunday of October. And not one person from my elder board or anybody from the church got up and just said, hey, I know it's been a rough year, but Pastor Scott, we just want to thank you for trying to lead us through this pandemic. Thank you so much for being our pastor. Nothing. I went through the whole month of October without any type of recognition or appreciation from the congregation. Just even a verbal response saying, hey, thank you so much for all the hard work you're doing and trying to lead us through this pandemic. Nothing. And I think that, that really, really, I mean, it really upset my wife because she was watching, because she was, again, she was watching online and she goes, oh, you know, we're a little late to the service. Did anybody say anything? And I said, no. And I was at the point where I kind of just like buried it. Like I didn't even want to deal with it. So she's bringing it up like, oh, how do you feel? And I'm getting angry. It's like, I don't want to talk about it. I, don't, I mean, because I was, I felt, again, I think that goes back to another form of betrayal. Mm -hmm. especially when it's, again, when it's your elder board and no one, not one person from your elder board just even does a verbal acknowledgement of saying, thank you so much. (sighs) Like, wow, like that. I mean, if you want to see, I mean, that's like being kicked in the Gahonas. Like that's like, ooh, that that was not good at all. So, I mean, in, in some ways, I'm glad that I'm kind of in an associate role at my next place. Cause I'm going to make sure I'm going to make sure if no one else in that church is doing anything for pastor appreciation, I'm going to make sure that my boss, the pastor that I'm working with is going to get appreciated. Like, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm not, I'm not tolerating. I mean, I'm not going to tolerate in October where it's just kind of half-hearted.
1: Well, and, and, and I've always been a firm believer in, as an associate pastor, like to, to make sure that your senior pastor is taken care of and supported and, you know, especially like on a Sunday morning as a creative arts guy, making sure everything is taken care of and ready to go so that all that the pastor has to do is get up and preach the word of God. Like mm-hmm. that's, I try to facilitate that moment. I went to a worship ministry conference, uh, years ago that, uh, that was the one thing that that was one of my biggest takeaways was make sure that. That your pastor is taken care of, and mm-hmm. that you know, especially on Sunday mornings, because they got enough to deal with. Yeah. Um, which we kind of talked about number eight already, but you know, uh, pastors are expected to work insane hours. It says many pastors work be t- uh, between twelve and fourteen hours every day without an entire day off. Sometimes it's this is the fault of the pastor for not mm-hmm. honoring a personal Sabbath, but often it is because of the pressure they feel to fulfill the intense demands of the ministry. When a congregation expects their pastors to work 60 to 80 hours a week at shepherd abuse. Mm. I
0: I think, yeah, I think it's, 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 it's yes. And like, I do think that a lot of times the pastor could set a boundary and say, I am working. And that's what I did. Like, like literally if I, if it's a Monday and I'm working nine to five and I'm doing the full, because usually time Mondays are my full office days. Like I'm in there and I'm, cranking out a sermon i'm getting everything prepared like i'm it's
1: funny because most pastors take mondays off
0: see i don't because i feel like after sunday i that kind of i I feel like lifted up so monday i just like have ideas where i want to go next so i'm i want to write that on paper i don't want to take that day off so for me it's more of a motivation for me so usually my sabbatical days are on fridays because by that time if i put in all the work then friday is going to be my day and plus you know if I want to go traveling with my family. I have kind of like a three-day weekend to go do stuff, especially when my kids were little little and not in school. You know, we could go do something on a Friday where it's not so busy. So that's just what made sense for me. And that's what worked for me. So Monday, like I would crank something up, but then let's say if I have a meeting Monday. So let's say if I work my eight hours and then I sit in a two-hour meeting in the evening, then I'm probably going to be taking two hours off the next day. So instead of me getting into the office at seven, I'm not getting into the office until nine, because again, I work. So there's a balance. And I think what pastors have to do is they have to have a balance of, but then of course there are those things like someone dies. So now you're writing not only your sermon for Sunday, but now you're writing a, you know, you're writing a eulogy and a sermon for the funeral and you're planning a whole. So then that's going to take extra time. Um, So I know there's going to be some weeks where you are going to probably be putting in Close to a little over forty hours a week. There's going to be times like that where you're definitely going to do that, especially if you, especially if you're a, the only pastor. So you're not only doing sermon, but maybe you're also doing a Sunday school class. You're also doing a Bible study. You also are kind of designing the worship service. Um, and especially when it comes to Holy Week, like Easter, like yeah, you're very easily you're probably putting in eighty hours, and more likely after Easter's done, probably the next week if you're smart and you want to take care of yourself, you're probably going back to, okay, I'm going to write my sermon and I'm just going to kind of take it a little bit more easy the week after Easter, because.
1: How crazy Easter is.
0: Because how crazy that week is and how busy and especially like Advent, like, you know, usually once, once we're done with Christmas Eve service, I take two weeks off. I take two weeks of vacation off because it's like, well, I'm up driving in Ohio, I'm visiting my family. And plus, I mean, I just did a whole entire Advent service by myself, planned everything. And it's like, you know, I'm ready to I'm ready to rest and kind of, you know, be rejuvenated so that when I start next year, I can start the next year strong instead of feeling like I'm starting the next year burnt out. So Mm
1: -hmm. I think, you know, I've been in so many different places. Um, One where we. Every staff member had a day of the week off and we knew when staff meeting and stuff was going to be. Um, And then another situation more recently where, you know, we worked, everybody took Mondays off. Like the office was just closed on Mondays and, you know, we worked Tuesday through Friday, but like as the video guy at this last church, that was a larger situation. um, There were days, Scott, where I was up till two o'clock in the morning.
0: Mm
1: editing video because we were behind or we didn't get stuff done or the computer crashed or, um, just wasn't a healthy situation. And there were days where I, you know, would start my day at seven or eight in the morning and I wouldn't get home till six or seven at night. And, you know, we had to record extra video and I'm like, it's not my fault that other people aren't more respectful of your, of your time. And, or in my, uh, in this situation, my time, um, you know, I would text people and they said, Hey, we're going to record at 10 AM and -hmm. they're walking, they're walking in at 1120, you know, like it's just, you know, it was very, you know, disrespectful on my time. And uh, Mm -hmm. the older I get, Scott, the more I, I think appreciate time and especially downtime, just being able to just chill out. I know that I'm good at what I can do. What I can offer, but I'm not gonna. I just refuse to stress about those things now um, because I've been on the other end of that perspective. So, yeah, perspective. Uh, mm-hmm. Where I, are we at? We at number, number nine. Number
0: nine, many pastors do not receive retire benefits.
1: Yeah. So, like earlier, um, you know, I kind of said that, you know, part of the reason that I went from being a full time in a ministry position. Or part-time in a ministry position to getting a full-time job in higher education was because I get benefits, guaranteed benefits, retirement, health uh free education for my children. So uh, the last full-time church position that I worked at, I had a salary package, but no insurance and no benefits, no retirement, no anything.
0: And that probably, so, if you wanted to do that, you'd have to pull it out of your package, co- right? Correct.
1: Correct. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, you know, I'm just going to go back to Miami and, <laughs> start building on that retirement that I've already got five years in. Yeah. So uh, what are your thoughts on this? I know that like church of God has what I think it's called servant solutions,
0: servant solutions. Yeah, and and I've never a, paid it's, into it's,
1: that. I get emails like every week or something. I
0: I, I, I mean, I did, I paid into that. So i actually do have a pension with the church of God. Okay. Um, And yeah, gonna, I mean, are you going
1: to keep that moving forward? Like yeah. as far as like,
0: yeah. Cause I'm still ordained in church of God and, and I'm going to be anything. And especially with me being in a different, pastoring in a different denomination. Like I'm not going to get anything because I'm not ordained in that denomination. Right. So, yeah. So, I mean, and here's the thing, like, as far as like retirement benefits and kind of, like I said earlier, like, you know, where other people get a salary and a lot of times when you get a salary, the money, you know, you get taxes taken out of that salary, but then you also get like a little portion goes to your life insurance, goes to dental, goes to vision, goes to this. So it's usually like, you know, couple, like five, 10, up to $30 that's being taken out for that. But then you also get like a 401k. So there's a percentage that goes into a 401k with whatever company you're working for. Uh, But when you're a pastor and you're paying, basically have to pay the full price and you're doing everything. So when it comes to retirement, you have to decide, okay, how much money do I want to invest into my pension or to my retirement? But that's being taken out of your packet. So if you're getting paid $45,000 a year and you say, I want to put 3,000 into retirement per year. Now you have 42. And then you decide to get insurance. So let's say insurance is going to cost you about $2,000 a year. Okay, now you have 40,000. And then you want life insurance. So that's like another 500 out. So by the time you knock it down and the actual salary you have that's for food and utilities and bills and everything else is going to be significantly less than your package because. You're trying to pay everything out of that. And I think sometimes even the battle is like health having health health insurance, that's dire because if something happens, you need to make sure you don't get smacked with a ginormous bill. Mm -hmm. So especially if you're a pastor and you have a family that you're taking care of, yeah, you definitely want health insurance. If you're like, if you're the main person that's making the most money, if you're main breadwinner, you probably want life insurance. So something happens to you and you happen to die unexpectedly, at least there's going to be money to cover funeral costs and to kind of help give some financial cushion to your family as they are trying to basically pick up the pieces of their lives now that you're gone. So that makes sense. But when it comes to retirement, a lot of times it's like, well, how much you put in is going to over time is going to be like, okay, how much you're going to do. And at least with um, Servant Solutions, there's a scale that says, okay, here's how much you're paying into now. So based on that record and based on current trends we're seeing within our market, by the time you retire at like 65, here's how much money you're going to make. And then they're going to say you're going to run out of money by the time you hit this age. And they'll tell you that. So sometimes they'll say, hey, why don't you increase it this much? Or you can even move the dial, Going, you know, I'm not going to retire at 65. I'm going to retire at like 75. Mm-hmm. And then you can kind of see like, and so, you, you know, they, they have the flexibility, which is a pretty cool graph to flex that. But like, you think about that, like, wow, like people who are not putting anything in when you retire from ministry, you may say, okay, I put so much, and you might realize like, oh no, I only have like basically five years of being able to live without working. And now I'm going to have to find something else to do. And I think that's kind of the hard part with being in ministry that, you know, you don't receive retirement benefits. But I love how in this thing it says, you know, when a financially established church doesn't provide for its founding pastor's retirement, it can be a form of shepherd abuse. And I think that's fine. I mean, if you're at a church like Elevation and you know that there's millions of dollars being raked into that church. And yet you are, let's say you're just the children's pastor there and you're not getting any retirement benefits at all, or it's something where you have to like take your package and you have to allocate it yourself. Then I feel like in that moment, if you are a well-off church, if you're financially well-off church, then yeah, you need to provide something. If you're a bivocational pastor and you're like a church where, well, the church has been leaking money for, you know, 20 plus years, then yeah, maybe, maybe it would be, maybe that's when the pastor has to say, okay, well, I need to take a little bit out and kind of put it in for myself because I know the church, or especially in this kind of culture today, like I don't know many churches that are going to be paying for your retirement benefits
1: yeah um kind of got two left scott uh kind of piled right through this article number 10 is many pastors are used for their influence and lack of true friends i'm gonna read that again many pastors are used (laughs) for their influence and lack of true friends
0: Yeah. Like, here's the thing about ministry. You know, we always say that ministry is more relationship driven. You know, you can't run a church the way you run like a a company because it just wouldn't fly because everything is so interpersonal and you have a relationship with people. You know, the congregation has a relationship with their pastor. The pastor has a relationship with their congregation. And even that like the pastor may have a relationship with other pastors in the area may have a relationship with the pastors within their denomination, within their state. So there's always that going on. But man, the moment a pastor resigns from the church, the friendships that they think they have secured or have disappear. And it's not just within the congregation, it's also within your pastor's group too. And that I think is, very concerning because especially if you are a pastor and you are doing great ministry. And sometimes like, I mean, there's times where literally I would sit in meetings with other pastors and we talk about planning and vision and all that stuff. And a lot of times literally I would say something, they would like the idea. Some of these pastors would implement my ideas and they would have such great success in churches and we'd have great relationships. And then it's like, hey guys, you know, I'll send an email. Hey guys, I resigned from the church. I'm still going to be living in the area. Just please pray for me and my family as we go through this transition. And then I get, okay, we're praying for you. But not one of them would reach out and say, Hey, you know, I'm so sorry to hear that. Would would you like to have a cup of coffee and just talk about it? Would you like to? you know, meet with us or, you know, meet with me or do whatever to, you know, kind of help you process some of this stuff and what, what went down. And really out of all the pastor buddies, I have one pastor that does that with me. We meet monthly and we talk about stuff. We talk about ministry. And it's like one of those things where I sit there and I go, my goodness, like literally it's like, once I step away from, and I'm, and it's not like I said, I'm no longer a pastor anymore. And I'm kind of like, okay, well, you're not a pastor. You can't be in our exclusive pastor club anymore, which in some ways, like, I kind of get that. Um, but I'm still a pastor. I'm still an ordained minister. I'm just in a season of transition. And it's like, it's almost like I'm kind of like, I've been, it's almost like literally the parable of the Good Samaritan. I've been beaten up. I'm on the side of the road, and the priest walks by, and the Levite walks by. And the person that picks me up is a guy Is a guy who works at a bakery that wants me to work for him, but yet sees value in me and sees value in my ministry and always asks me questions mm. and uh, really be able to preach and, and really pray and communicate things to the workers there. And they're just like, wow. Like, and even some of them go, wait, what church are you pastoring at? I would like to go. It's like, oh, I'm not pastoring a church. But because of the influence I have in a bakery – And just the love that they gave me and the acceptance they have, it's like, wow, you know, that ended up becoming my Samaritan, a bakery. Not the church, not the priest, not the pastor's group. An owner of a baker shop and the employees there. They They were the ones who picked me up and put me on the donkey and took me to the hospital. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, And
1: and they probably had no idea
0: have no idea have no idea
1: um yeah just it's crazy um i just think of like how hard it is to be real with people specifically in your ministry whatever you're pastoring because you don't know who to say to what without the repercussions of that stuff coming you said it earlier scott with with Uh, something you told to somebody and then it was being brought up in a meeting later Mm -hmm. um i just i'm always like i've always felt like i've had to be on guard with people um which sucks because that shouldn't be how the church is um and i think that we've gotten it wrong all this time you know and it's Mm -hmm. a separate podcast and a separate episode um but the just the idea of we're so perfect and we've got it so together and we have all the answers and we're going to be perfect and we're not going to mess up ourselves and we're not going to stumble and we're not going to sin. And we're not going to, it's like, hello, there is only one sinless perfect person and his name was Jesus. And so we, the, the perception that pastors are perfect is just asinine. Like I just don't understand that philosophy and um, sorry, I'm getting mad. No, it's okay. <laughs> but, but it's just. But do you believe that? Like, it, it's just. It's it's so infuriating that people, parishioners, think that pastors don't have sin problems, or they sin themselves. Like, just because you find Jesus doesn't mean you're going to trip the next day and not stumble so it's just, it's just baffling to me that like, you you can't be real around other people without there being complaints or let's call an elder meeting because pastor Scott said something to me like, no, like, and, and I think that's why uh, pastors struggle so hard with, with depression, mental health issues and being vulnerable with people because they're afraid of that judgment and um, Mm -hmm. lack of confidence because of just the way that, People have reacted over the course of time, at least in our lifetime, and probably before that. So, what do you say, Scott? Do you want to wrap this up? We're in the last. Uh, we're in the last one.
0: Yep. Let me. Yeah. So, pastors are expected to be experts in everything, as well as theologians. And basically, kind of, in just to kind of illustrate what they mean, what this author means by this, he says many pastors are expected to have all the answers related to financial challenges real estate issues people challenges and strategy so it's not just the pastor's job to go and design a sermon series design a bible study and lead people in the church but they also have to be expert in real estate and have to be an accountant and have to be a realtor and have to understand and be a counselor and all these different all these different degrees and all these different hats that they have to wear And if you can't like you know if you're not a financial guru then oh man how come you're not helping us solve our financial crisis pastor yeah i mean i
1: yeah it, like you and i were talking about a little bit before we recorded today but like the the idea of like if you don't agree with something that's fine however you know you can't always have all the answers. It's just impossible. So like, Hey, I'm willing to have that conversation. Let me, let me do a little research on it and I'll get back to you. Let's have coffee and we'll have a conversation about it. But like, don't be afraid to say that. And I think so many times that people are afraid to say that and then uh, they get kind of caught in a trap and it's not okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it becomes a bigger issue than it has to be or needs to be.
0: Yeah. And I think, I think sometimes, you know, I think the pastor's, mentality of saying hey i don't know is very conclusion because if you say you don't know then it's almost like well then why are you questioning your
1: integrity or, it, or they question your
0: integrity they go well then why did you and it's almost like they feel like that they've been bamboozled because you know because again like if you're thinking if you're candidateing for a church position they're not asking you do you know anything about real estate do you know anything about finances Do you know anything of how do you balance a budget? They're asking you about character questions. They're asking you about, you know, they're asking you for sermon illustrations. They're asking you about how do you lead, you know, how do you deal with conflict? You know, they'll ask a lot of like, how do you deal with conflict? How do you lead staff? How do you do this and that? But they're not saying that, oh, hey, do you have a, do you have a realtor's license? Do what what other what other job do you have outside of ministry, especially if it's a bivocational one like they're not asking those questions. They start off by asking you, "Are you a person of good character? Do you know the Bible and can you preach and can you teach those are usually like kind of like the main pillars of a canon of someone looking for a pastor that they ask. So then when you get there and now you're expected to understand how to balance their budget and fix all their financial problems. Well, I mean, again, you're not Dave Ramsey. You're not, you know, you're not, um, you're not a realtor. You're not a, you're not a uh, interior designer. You know, you're not there to argue and fight about what carpet's going to look best in the sanctuary. You're not. Uh, Apparently you're, yeah, you're not, but people think you are. And I think that's kind of the, And I think that's kind of the issue why pastors don't want to say, I don't know, because the moment you say, I don't know, is a moment where it's like, well, then why are you, why are we paying you? Why are you even, why are you the pastor here? If you can't help us with this situation, it's like, because you didn't hire me to be your bookkeeper. You didn't hire me to solve. And literally, like, I mean, and sometimes, you know, when you look at a pastor, you could have a pastor who literally could go to a church that has a leaking budget and then fixes it and through their leadership and through their guidance helps fix the leaky budget. Then they go to a different church. They see, Oh, you're able to fix their leaky budget. He could do the same. He or she could do the same thing here too. And then the pastor gets there and they can't and they're like, well, come on, man, you're able to do it at the last church. How come you can't do it here? And in a lot of times when I, when I get asked that question, It's like, because I didn't have a leadership team that constantly always questioned what I was doing Mm -hmm. when there was an opportunity and I would call. And usually the thing is, is we trust you, pastor, you make the decision. And when I would make the decision to kind of capitalize on an opportunity that could be financially beneficial for the church and it worked out, then, Hey, Great. You know, it wasn't like I was spending them. It wasn't like I was getting embezzled or anything, but it always worked out. And yeah. yet, sometimes I would say, go, but I could go to a different church and say, hey, here's this opportunity. I go, okay, well, can we wait till like in two weeks? We're going to have a meeting. Why don't we discuss it at a meeting? Well, that opportunity may not be here in two weeks. And sure enough, we go talk about it. They ask me about it. I'm like, sorry, they went in a different direction.
1: Well, too, like every church is a different situation, right? yeah money wise budget wise you're not going to have the same amount to play with and like one church could be completely debt-free and one church could have four million dollars in debt like it's it's you know back to the whole being hey we're going to be experts in things it's like it's just that we didn't we i don't know if we've done this episode yet scott but like the things they don't teach in seminary like they don't teach you anything about presenter. They don't teach you anything about live streaming. They don't teach you about marketing or social media or anything like that. Like to just say, all right, here's the book of Acts and what they did. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, uh, it's a struggle.
0: Yeah, it is. And I think that's the, and I think that's kind of the big, I think that's a big issue because, you know, each church is different from their budget crisis to, like, I mean, I have a buddy who literally, They have this church, and this church wasn't very outreach-driven. So, But luckily, they have a lot of land, so they ended up selling a portion of land to a sheriff's office that was right behind them so that they could increase, build their facility and stuff. So they got a bunch of money from it. Great. And now the pastor wants to kind of use it to kind of help do upkeep as far as with their live sound and stuff. So they're going to have to spend, you know, a decent amount of money, and there's a lot of people who are worried about, well, is pastor going to blow all this extra money that we have, upgrading upgrading our sound system? It's like, well, when your sound system's coming out of, a, out of one speaker in your sanctuary, and it's not even a regular speaker, it's one of those like um, balcony speakers that you hang underneath a balcony, and that's the only source of where your music is coming from, And your live stream services, you're just pulling audio from your camera in the open auditorium. So it sounds like it's echoey. Like, yeah, I mean, you need to, you need to increase and you need to spend that money to make sure you have a good worship experience. And sometimes that's going to be costly.
1: Which blows my mind to this day that like some churches are like, well, we don't, we can't do that. And I'm like, why? Like, I know that some, like some churches don't have the budget or the money to do that, but like there there's a legit need for that then why
0: why are you why are you not doing this
1: yeah you know what i mean so do like,
0: but you're willing to but you're willing to do a whole capital campaign on an entire edition
1: that with you're wood
0: paneling that's that, but but you can't but you can't pay money for your sound system
1: yeah cuz it's not a priority which is
0: basically which basically is now especially now i mean just having that, you have to have a good live. You have to have a good live service now. Like as far as a streaming service now, you have to, I mean, if your picture quality is crappy, if your sound's crappy, if, if even just the way you present it is not great, then you're, you're going to, it's not going to, you know, it's that's kind of a form of evangelism. I mean, if you don't have, and if you have the money to spend it and you choose not to, then you're basically just putting your foot in the grave already. And again, you know, small churches may not have it and you're doing the best you can. This is not a criticism to you guys because I know you're trying to do whatever you can. So whatever you're able to do is probably better than nothing. Right. But for those who do have the means to do it, but they're arguing and fighting and saying, nope, like we can't do it. Sorry, we're not going to spend that money. Then, then and you do have the means for it, then I think that's kind of a whole separate issue. Uh, But yeah, so those were the 11, the 11 things that pastors are abused. Um, So just kind of let us know in the comments, Uh, send us a message. Let us know uh, if you're a pastor, are these some of the things that you experience? And if you're a church member and you're witnessing this and you see it, it's like, oh, I'm seeing this in my church. What can I do to stop it? What can I do to kind of help reverse the culture within my church? And definitely we'd love to hear those stories and kind of give wisdom and guidance to help you navigate those directions. But again, Micah, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Thank you so much for finding this article and bring it up so we can uh, discuss it. That's it's wonderful.
1: Yeah, no problem.
0: All right. And guys, again, thank you so much for listening. I hope you guys have a good rest of your day. Again, if you love this podcast, feel free to give us five-star rating Feel free to share it with your friends, write a review. Uh, that's going to help people find like-minded podcasts. Again, you can support us at my Ko-Fi page, ko-fi.com slash the Scott Stumman podcast. All your funds go to the betterment of the show. Uh, be like Patty, who's donating $5 a month. She gets an updated letter from me saying, Hey, here's the cool stuff that we're doing. Here's the kind of direction we're going. And if you want to give more, there's more incentives like free t-shirts and an opportunity to be a guest on the podcast. But No one's taking advantage of those opportunities, so maybe you will be the first one. All right, guys. I hope you have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.